Today on Season 2, Episode 72 of the Unknown Packers Podcast, Maggie Loney of Packaday Podcast and Cheesehead TV joins Bryce to discuss the Packers' convincing win over the Raiders Sunday. We're 6-1, baby, and looking to carry that momentum going forward. What were the keys to victory? Who were in themselves a game ball? Listen in and find out. And now it's time for Raiders Beatdown on tap. Thank you so much for following the Unknown Packers podcast. Touchdown! Dagger! Al Harris, 56 yards to a game-winning touchdown! Green Bay Packers! Go Pack! Go! Winning isn't everything, but it's the only thing. Let me tell you this, Green Bay is a great town. This is Green Bay, Green Bay, Green Bay. And welcome to the Unknown Packers podcast for the episode focused solely on the Raiders post game. We have Maggie Loney in the building, not literally, but uh, we have her as our guest for our episode today. Maggie, how are you doing? Packers are six and one. I'm doing a lot better now that they are six and one. Uh, so it's I'm excited to be here. Like you said, not literally in the building, but uh, <laughs> close proximity, at least since you're in Milwaukee and I'm Kenosha. So I'll take it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So give me a little breakdown, if you will, before the game. How are you feeling as the Packers headed in to Lambeau to face off against the 3-2 and two Raiders? Packers are 5-1 and one heading in for the 12 p.m. Central Standard Time, Central Standard Time kickoff. How did you feel beforehand? I thought that the game was going to be closer than it was, but I think that it did help getting Geronimo and Marquez back. I think that made a difference for the offense. I was a little surprised to see that Ryan Grant was a healthy scratch. But uh, like I said, you know, having Geronimo and MVS back, it made sense that Grant would get maybe an extra week to kind of observe the offense rather than being thrown into it. My key point going into the game was management of Jacobs. You know, I thought that given what some running backs have been able to do to the Packers defense this season, he was going to be the person that they needed to keep an eye on and their offense was going to kind of live or die by his hand. Mm -hmm. So after his first massive carry, it kind of felt like it could be one of those days where the, the run defense just needed some support, but turned out to be better than I think I even had anticipated. I guess I thought it would maybe come down to a touchdown at the end of the game. I mean, it helps when you have Aaron Rodgers, who went 25 for 31, a total of 429 passing yards, five touchdowns, one rushing touchdown and a perfect passer rating of 158.3. It's a tongue twister. It's really, really long to say. He becomes the fastest player in NFL history to throw for 350 touchdowns, a milestone that he reached in 172 games, surpassing Drew Brees at 180. He's also the second quarterback in NFL history to have 400 passing yards, five passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, zero interceptions in a single game, joining Mark Rippon, who did it November 10th of 1991. So that performance, I think, I Rodgers has been an MVP. He's been a quiet MVP for the whole season. But this, uh, this was a special, special performance. And I think as we let this process and we marinate this throughout the week and we look on towards our next opponent, the Kansas City Chiefs, I think we're going to reflect on how magical of a game this was. But I think... Rodgers really allowed us to cover up those blemishes of Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs, who myself and Nebels previewed that we thought that those two guys would be the big focal point for the Raiders. They 
they set the tone for the Raiders. Luckily, the Raiders couldn't keep up with the Packers. But as as the Packers started off first quarter, second quarter, give me give me one pivotal play off the top of your head in that first half that really I think kind of set the tone for the Packers for the rest of the game. Mine might be cheating. Maybe you had a same thought, but uh, when Aaron Jones actually hauled in his nice. wheel route in the end zone, yeah, you know, I I tweeted this out right after it happened. But in offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett's presser a couple days ago, he had said, you know, if if you give Aaron Jones that play ten more times, he catches it ten out of ten times. So what happened was a fluke. It showed that the offense had plenty of faith that he was going to be able to make that same play if asked to do it again. It worked last time they tried it, aside from the bobble. So, you know, it was wide open and he caught a more difficult catch in heavy traffic, you know, coming back across his body. So I thought at that moment it kind of symbolized that this offense was really going to get clicking um, at Lambeau today. And it it's nice to see Aaron Jones bounce back from a disappointing week for Monday Night Football against the Detroit Lions. Uh, that's not an easy catch to make, too. That, that was an incredible play. It might go down as one of the best plays of the season with execution and how Aaron Jones was able to essentially twist his body, contort it, and still be able to haul that in. I, I tossed and turned with that play, so I'm glad we're we're on the same page. It it followed uh, not too far long after, actually, uh, in the second quarter, uh, when the pa- the Packers had just scored, gone up 14-10, and the Raiders were driving. And for me, I don't know what happens if the Raiders score at the end of the second quarter. Instead, Carr trying to uh, create a little bit of magic, extending the football, ended up fumbling it into the end zone. And uh, it was our football on the 20. So that, I felt like, was such a big turnaround. And then the Packers just drove the length of the field, scored a touchdown, going into halftime 21-10 instead of maybe 14-13, 17-14. And then we got the ball back to start the second half. So for me, the play that you had with Aaron Jones, that wheel route, um, him, I mean, that beautiful execution with Aaron Rodgers. But I, for me, if the Raiders score at the end of this first half, it's a different ball game. But then again, it just seemed that Aaron Rodgers was functioning on a whole nother level. And maybe it could have been a more of a shootout had they scored at the end of the first half. But yeah, those two plays back to back, I thought were uh, difference makers. Yeah. And I mean, it seemed like the Raiders offense was moving the ball really well. And Derek Carr is just about the king of the dink and dunk and, you know, the short <laughs> yard passing. So they were moving the ball well. Josh Jacobs was running really well. And then I know we'll talk about it a little bit later, but they fell behind so quickly that they kind of Mm -hmm. abandoned that run game. So, you know, he had that long of 42 and I think it was the first quarter and it was like, okay, you know, here we go. This is going to be another kind of performance where the defense is going to have to bend but not break. And then, he, I mean, he did end the game with 124 yards. So he put up some big numbers uh, on 21 attempts, averaging 5.9 yards a carry. That's those are big numbers, and that is not great for the Packers' defense. That is something that they'll definitely need to clean up. But, you know, you could tell that this the Raiders team was going to have to rely on Derek Carr's arm once they started falling behind. And I think, to your point, Derek Carr fumbling that ball out of the end zone really was a pivotal moment because had they tried to punch it in with Josh Jacobs, like you said, we're right. looking at a much closer game. Kumro probably doesn't have his touchdown to seal the half. So... 
it it's like a coin flip at that point instead of the Packers building all of that momentum, knowing that they're going to start the second half with the ball. It, it's nice that you, it's pivotal too, and it's nice that it goes the Packers' way. I feel maybe, maybe for some that are tuning in, that thought that we were gifted a win uh, Monday night against the Lions, and but I always feel that it doesn't really necessarily go our way. I feel to see the defense, kind of. I mean, granted. That was a gift more, I guess I'm, it is a gift with, uh, with Carr really trying to extend that. But at the same time, that's Blake Martinez also creating a play, closing in on him. So I think if you, if you focus a little bit more, you're just seeing more execution and a little bit more camaraderie. I feel like the offense bails out the defense and vice versa. And I, I've been talking about it week in, week out that around this point, week seven, week eight, is when you get to see what this team is capable of. So the Packers win 42-24. Based off of going into the game, a lot of, I think a lot of people were sleeping on the Raiders at 3-2. and two. I thought they were a, a challenging opponent. I think that maybe we were kind of looking past them, which was my concern. But knowing Lafleur and knowing your, uh, I guess, affinity for Lafleur or your, uh, I guess, uh, respect, admiration, he always goes in... Week in, week out, zero zero. But g- give me your take on: is it is it more the defense that's stepping up? Is it more Rodgers quietly having an MVP season, or is it really just stem from Coach Lafleur? I'll call it a healthy admiration. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that definitely started as a joke on Packaday, and now apparently Twitter loves it. So I'm just going to keep doing it, and I'm going to keep talking about it. You but should. I, you should. <laughs> I do think that. Matt LaFleur has really come into a good situation. You know, he has an MVP quarterback. He has a newly evolved defense with brand new playmakers. Mike Patton getting to do a second year of his scheme. He brings in Nathaniel Hackett to work the offense with him. But you can tell that there's such a dynamic environment building in Green Bay right now. And it's not just a football team. You know, they break the huddle with family like it. The environment and the atmosphere and everything just feels different. The culture feels a lot different. And I had the utmost respect for Mike McCarthy, and I still do. But I think that there was an element of maybe some staleness in what was going on in Green Bay the last couple seasons. So to see Aaron Rodgers being able to have fun, I think to your original question, it's all of the different pieces coming together cohesively. So brand new head coach brings energy in, uh, he integrates an offense that MVP quarterback is super excited about. New defensive playmakers come and bring energy. They're doing sack dances. They are getting their <laughs> defensive coordinator who has a reputation of not smiling to smile. Like the, the culture yeah. and energy is really built around an entire team. And I think that's kind of what makes this season so fun in Green Bay is that it used to be, hey, Aaron Rodgers, you know, put the team on your shoulders. Let's do it. And if he can't, he gets a lot of blame for that because he can't put on a cape and be a superhero. So this team being able to pick each other up has been what's making the season so special. And it's honestly what's gotten them to six and one. You know, the defense has a bad performance and the offense steps up and puts up 30 points. The offense has a really, you know, kind of struggling game getting their their footing. And then the defense, it plays lights out. So that's, to me, kind of what's been the theme of this season so far. And they seem to get better week 
every week. They seem to progress and now are averaging 33 points per game over the last three games. And they're 3-0 and with Davante Adams. So I think, too, maybe maybe we're forgetting to give a nod or maybe I'm forgetting to give a nod to Brian Gutekunst because I feel that it's it really stems from him what kind of culture he wanted to set up in Green Bay and I felt like he established that last year by by drafting Jair Alexander and then this year by bringing in Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith. I don't know if he knew that they were going to have that type of energy, but I'd like to think that Milt Hendrickson had had an idea of what Zadarius Smith brought to the locker room and brought that culture. But Gutekunst, and then also knowing that Gutekunst wanted Matt LaFleur, so Packers being 6-1 and one, and then also 3-0 and oh without Devontae Adams and Give me your thoughts of leading into the game where we we find out that Marquez Valdez Scantling and Geronimo Allison are going to play, and so it wasn't going to be uh, Alan Lazar, Jay Kumaro, and Darius Shepard. But say say Marquez Valdez Scantling and Geronimo Allison did not suit up. Do you think Aaron Rodgers still has that performance? I think that he does, but I think that it's because. You know, he's finally super comfortable in this offense. You have, I mean, the first two touchdowns of the game went to Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. So he's getting his running backs utilized. Jimmy Graham finally caught his touchdown in the end zone after having a couple drops. And Jimmy Graham already has three touchdowns on the season. Last season, in its entirety, he had two touchdowns. So we're seven games in now, and he has exceeded his touchdown total from 2018. (laughs) So, you know, there was an emphasis And I think all the players knew with Devontae Adams being out, the running backs have to step up. The tight ends have to step up. Danny Vitale had a really great game when he was targeted. So I think that maybe he wouldn't have had like a perfect passer rating, but I think that he still kind of would have divvied the ball up well enough and the offense would have still looked pretty good, but maybe it would have been like a, 30 to 35 point performance because I mean Marquez did have his uh, burner touchdown for 72 yards which was incredible yeah absolutely and uh, I I did this to Dusty so uh, I I just threw out hypotheticals here and there and uh, I I felt like I just did that to you and you responded very very (laughs) well that's a challenging question and there wasn't really any right or wrong I mean how can you predict that but I, I I felt like Rodgers, every single week, he just see. I mean, no one's talking about him. No one's talking about, I mean, outside of, I guess, us, but no one's talking about how great of a season he's having. And maybe after this type of performance, the media is going to pick up on it more. Packers being 6-1, and one, rookie head coach being 6-1, and one, and then we're also having some key injuries as well with Devontae Adams and Darnell Savage. Darnell Savage misses another game. How much more do you think that the Packers can play, or how do you think we can afford another week or two without Savage being out there? I think that they can. And part of that, which is really unfortunate, I was looking forward to a Chiefs matchup on Sunday Night Football with Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. But I don't think that that deep threat is necessarily there as much, you know, without Mahomes. So that's another opportunity to give Savage a week of rest. And I know that Will Redman is not Darnell Savage. And, you know, the Packers didn't necessarily plan on having him be a starting safety in their defense. But He stepped up, and I know that he's made a couple mistakes, but the defense as a whole, I think, is finding a way 
to make up for the loss of Darnell Savage. But that's also not to say that their defense won't be exponentially improved then when Darnell Savage is back on the field. So they're finding ways to win without him, kind of like the offense is finding ways to win without right. Devontae. But then that just makes it more exciting to think about what this team is going to look like when Adams is back on offense and Savage is back patrolling that back end of the field on defense. Now, do you have, like, I don't know the severe, I know Devontae Adams said that he's not going to come back until he's 100%. And with the turf toe injury, uh, that that gets that's thrown up in the air. Then that can linger for a couple more weeks. With Darnell Savage, do you know of anything like the severity, or are they just being extremely cautious with him, or is this something that could continue to linger on and we might miss him for for another couple weeks? My assumption, and I'm not a doctor, so take everything I say with a grain <laughs> of salt. He, I know he was in the walking boot, and it was more precautionary than it was anything else. And he doesn't seem like he has that limp that he's had the last couple weeks. He looks like he's walking fine on his own now, which I think is a bit of progress. So whether or not he gets any practice in this week, my thought would be that maybe he doesn't suit up for the Chiefs. But I I would think they for sure get him back before their bye week. So whether he comes back for Los Angeles or if he comes back for the home game against the Panthers. I don't think that he's out three more games. I think it's one, maybe two. I think also you brought a good point as well as that there's other people that step up, other players that step up in the absence of Savage. And I think it's pretty remarkable that we're relying on on a rookie so quickly. But I mean, he established, I guess, his reputation or his the attention needed to be drawn more to him right the minute he got drafted. I mean, stepping into into OTAs and also into training camp, you got to see that the Packers really thought highly of him. If if he comes back, do you think that he could have... I know that the Smiths are, are the leaders of that defense, but do you think that Savage could eventually uh, overtake that and be the leader on, on defense? I think that's tough. I mean, I think like Jair would be another name that I would throw right. out there as a leader. And to me, and maybe you have a different perception of him, but... Darnell Savage to me seems like a quiet leader in the same way that Adrian Amos seems like a quiet leader where mm -hmm. they're just reliable and they do their jobs and they make plays and it's it's flashy in the sense that it's phenomenal football, but they don't draw yeah. attention to themselves. Whereas Jair and Kevin King are like the hype men for the back of the defense. And then you've got Preston and Zadarius who have that same energy for the front seven. I would kind of consider Darnell Savage the same way that I look at Kenny Clark, where he's just a nice. technically sound, reliable football player that brings attention because they're talented, but not because they ask for the attention. I'm glad that you mentioned Kenny Clark, too, uh, with him being put on the injury report uh, earlier this week with the calf injury, injury. Myself and Nebels talked about it, and I was a little relieved, and I know this could get twisted, but I was relieved to see him on the injury report because after a really... Uh, stellar start week one week two against the bears and the vikings respectively he kind of lost that mojo lost that juice so and so in the back of my mind i thought maybe he's injured or maybe that's the reason why he's been a little bit more quiet or under the radar and in fact he has been dealing with that calf injury now he played through that is it was this a mistake on the packers end of of having him come in and then it seemed like he re-injured that during the game? I think that's tough anytime. Like, if I were a coach, and unless it was something like a concussion where, you know, I knew that there was 
a, a massive risk if I put them back in the game. You know, if he's the one that's running on it and playing on it and he thinks he's good to go and my training staff says, yeah, I think he's cleared to play, then I would let him play because obviously Kenny Clark is like the anchor of this defense. So, you know, if he can go, Kenny Clark as an average player is still better than a lot of defensive linemen when they're playing their best. So while I I do hate, you know, to see the nagging injuries that get re-injured on the field, I don't think mm-hmm. there's any way they would have played him if they thought that it it could have been something that I think it's just one of those freak things where someone rolls up on him or he trips right. and it's it's a completely normal football play that happens to aggravate something that was already aggravated. And while you were answering that question, I wanted to pull up uh, just more information on Kenny Clark. And he actually suffered a shin injury. So he had that calf injury going into the game, had that shin injury, was pulled out. And then he actually ended up coming back into the game. But they are saying that it will be a shin injury and then a calf injury as he played through. So definitely something to monitor throughout the season. Throughout the season, maybe it could be something like that that lingers on and on, but I also think that it was one of those things where you already have Devonte Adams out and you have Darnell Savage out, and if they thought that maybe Kenny Clark was maybe 75, 80%, they'd, they'd roll him out there based on kind of the injuries that we were sustaining or have sustained so far week or seven weeks in. Packers are 6-1 and one right now. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back for the second half talking game balls and also maybe some areas of concern but right now, Packers are 6-1 and one as they beat up on the Raiders 42-24. Enjoy this quick commercial break, but we'll be right back with Maggie Loney of Cheesehead TV. You are listening to the Unknown Packers podcast. Do you want to be a part of the show? If so, give our listener line a call. Leave your name, a comment, concern, or question, and we will include your message on an upcoming episode. Call 920-328-5269. Again, that's 920-328-5269. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget to show us some love and rate us on your favorite podcast provider. Now, let's get to the second half. And we are back for the second half of... Raider beatdown on tap. Packers are up. Packers are six and one. And the reason why I chuckle is that I asked I asked you, Maggie, what are we going to title this this episode? And so for the first half, it was previously untitled. And uh, here we go, Raiders beatdown. But give me so overall, we we talked about the pregame vibes. We talked about the first half, and then we went into a little bit of maybe some hypotheticals, and I put you on the spot on a few questions, so my apologies on the challenging hypotheticals. But as always, you delivered with grace and ease (laughs) and confidence. But Maggie, thank you so much for being part of the Unknown Packers podcast and this Raiders beatdown on tap. But give me... Give me your overall vibe. I know that you were really tuning in for the Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, spooky Halloween sack celebration. Did they deliver? No, but they did not. They did not. I was wondering. <laughs> but my Zadarius Smith jersey did deliver. Um, mm. And we're three and zero since I've downed the Smith jersey. Nice. So, you know, nice. I guess you know you win some, you lose some. But there hopefully we next week in Kansas City, they get to 
make something spooky happen. And then we'll be even closer to Halloween. So it's even more timely. So give me give me your prediction then. What do you think it'll be? I don't know. I mean, if it's Halloween themed, I would have to think that they're going to go for something scary because someone on Twitter actually said that he thought that they would do a trick or treat celebration, which I think would be awesome. So if that is what happens, I have to find that tweet and give that guy a shout out because that was an (laughs) excellent guess. But I feel like maybe like a zombie walk or maybe they'll do the thriller. That'd be pretty cool. Okay. All right. I like the thriller. I was, I was thinking maybe Ghostbusters themed. Ooh, that's a good one. So like, I don't know. Uh, what is it? The Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. I don't know how you would depict that, but uh, I might have to have you back on and we'll talk about possible, maybe a little short pour, a 10, 15 minute episode talking about the possible sack celebrations of Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith. But that's definitely been a huge game ball so far this season is that addition. But give me your first game ball for the Packers 42-24 win over the Raiders. This seems super obvious, so I can give a second game ball if necessary, but Aaron Rodgers has to get the game ball for his perfect passer rating, the first Packers quarterback in franchise history. So 101 years of Packers football, Aaron Rodgers is the first guy to do it. Not the first guy in the NFL, to clarify, just for the Packers franchise. His stats were phenomenal. You know, you mentioned them earlier, 25 completions, 429 yards, He only took one sack, threw for five touchdowns, ran for one touchdown. It was just an incredible performance. Without his number one receiver, he got everyone flowing on the offense. He threw to Allison, both his running backs, Lazard, MVS, Kumaro, Vitaly, Graham. I mean, he gave everyone the ball. So it was just, it was a vintage Rodgers performance. And I hesitate to even call it vintage because to me, Aaron Rodgers could be sitting in the middle of his prime. You know, I... I have a hard time saying I know he's technically on the back nine of his career and he's not going to be able to keep playing for 10, 15 more seasons like we'd all love him to. But it's hard for me to to call it a throwback Rodgers performance because this season in its entirety for Aaron Rodgers has been some really incredible performances, I think, from Dallas and beyond. So, you know, after losing Adams, he's really had to to kind of step into this offense and lead this team getting the ball distributed, and it's just been some lights-out stuff from Aaron. I couldn't have said it better myself. I Aaron Rodgers my game ball as well. Already said his stats. I think it's I – I, I'm at a loss for words because, one, I think that – I mean, he he's endured quite a bit of criticism, and I think that coming back from injury in 2017, last year, the Packers really at this point were still at – Maybe, I mean, they were a team that was looking at a postseason run and then the, I mean, the wheels fell off and it was a completely derailed season. But what you're seeing right now, and I think with Coach LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers, like you said, is he's having fun. And that's that's scary. And I think Aaron Rodgers doing a little uh, belt celebration in the end zone. There's this, there's this energy that I feel like it's making this season extremely special. He needs to be in the MVP conversation race, if not at the top next to maybe Russell Wilson. I'm thinking, but yeah, it's a no-brainer. I'm glad that you didn't hesitate. I'm glad because I I feel like some might have just been like, oh, it's just so obvious. But this was a really 
I, I'm going to go back and watch the tape. We're recording this essentially a few hours after the game, but I'm I'm going to go back and watch the tape just because I think we're going to talk about this performance for years to come. Great game ball. Who Who is your uh, second game ball? So I struggled between two, and they're both on the defense. I wanted right. to give uh, a game ball to Blake Martinez because of his forced fumble, and I think that he made, you know, we talked about this earlier, a game-changing play by forcing Derek Carr to kind of dive for the pylon and fumble that ball led the team in tackles today. Um, He's had, he's a nice reliable season. I mean, I don't think that he's done anything incredibly flashy, but he is a mainstay on the defense. He's up there with, you know, like top five leading the league in tackles. But if I didn't give it to Blake Martinez, my second option was going to be, Adrian Amos, because nice. he, again, is just incredibly reliable on the back end of the field. He had six tackles today, two passes defensed, including a tipped ball that ended up being a Kevin King interception in the end zone. So just a lot of really nice, uh, solid play from the defense. And I know that Adrian Amos got uh, kind of truck sticked a little bit from Josh Jacobs in the first quarter. So he had a nice bounce back game from that. And uh you can tell that it didn't really shake him too bad because he was able to go in there and make some plays for the defense when they needed him to. I I can't believe... I mean, my second game ball was going to be Adrian Amos as well. And <laughs> I, I, I think... But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to switch it up. So I'm going to do a little audible. But I, I think the other thing with Adrian Amos, like, like you mentioned too, is that he does all the little stuff maybe and doesn't get all the recognition that he deserves. Uh, again, uh, Brian Gutekunst went out and brought in four really key contributors to fortify this team. And Adrian Amos, I mean, he had two really, really nice tackles that were delivered, I believe, to Trevor Davis. He just seems to be always in the right spot. It's just a really refreshing feel to have him back there compared to who we used to have back there um, when it used to be agonizing to watch who was going to uh, possibly let up a big play. But having Adrian Amos back there, I, I just feel good that the Packers would never... Granted, they got burned last week on the flea flicker, but again, it, it had to be a little bit of a trick play in order to uh, catch the defense sleeping. I feel like he's someone that we're not talking about. Zadarius and Preston are getting all the recognition, and deservedly so, but I think Adrian Amos might might go down as one of the sneakier free agent acquisitions, not only for Gutekunst's tenure, but also for the NFL. But I'm going to actually go with J.K. Scott. I feel he had three punts that averaged 55.3 yards, and his first punt was 52 yards inside the 20-yard with with a five-second hang time. This is an audible, but I do believe that whenever we get an opportunity, we need to highlight the beauty that is J.K. Scott. I don't know how he does it, but he puts his left foot on the ground and can still deliver that punt. He doesn't kick, doesn't leap. It's a beautiful thing of physics and energy, but I will go with J.K. Scott because I had to throw it up there Uh but now I'm kind of wondering, should I should I have gone gone with my game ball originally? I, regardless of who you go with your third one, I have my third one locked and loaded, ready to go. But uh, so far, I feel like we are connecting. We are on the same wavelength. Give me your third final game ball, and I'm going to uh, geek out if uh, this is the same one that I have. <laughs> All right. I uh, don't think it is. <laughs> I think I can guess who yours is. Oh, okay. Who who do you think mine is? I think yours is Kumaro. Ah, okay, okay. We're uh, 
on the edge of your seat, you're gonna have to wait. Yeah, mine is mine is uh, Marquez Valdez scaling. <laughs> unless unless the laugh means that that's our third one now that we've matched on. Maybe maybe this is just <laughs> kismet. This episode had to happen. <laughs> but I mean, 133 yards. He had the long of 74. He's playing kind of hobbled. He had the leg injury. He scores his touchdown. He he's carving out a very specific role in this offense, and that is the deep ball, <laughs> the mm-hmm. deep ball threat that other defenses have to account for because I I tweeted this out earlier, but he has the Jets, and if he can get past you, it's game over. I mean, we saw Aaron Rodgers connect on the free play with MVS earlier this season, so right. that connection is building, and I'd like to see him get more involved, you know, in the short game, maybe even like the jet sweep game. Um, but for the role he's currently in on this offense, he's doing it well. So he gets my third game ball because he put up pretty much double the yardage of any other uh, receiver this game. So it was impressive. I did have Marcos Veldez scantling. I do. I thought about the overall receiver unit because MVS coming in with an ankle injury Having two catches for 133 yards, you get to see that blazing sp- speed. But a guy that I've been hard on, and I feel like a lot, of, I feel like a lot of other people have been uh, expecting more from him was is Jimmy Graham, who I uh, who caught four passes for 65 yards and a touchdown after really struggling with drops in the in the week before. On top of that, you you had eight receivers who all finished with more than 25 yards. Just Aaron Rodgers, I mean, just finding guys, elevating other people to play. Alan Lazard making an incredible catch. I mean, I'm excited to see what he can do, but I think it's pretty remarkable when you have Devonta Adams go down and you have a lot of later round guys, albeit guys that they uh, covet and guys that they want to bust out like Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard and uh, Jimmy Graham, who a lot of people have talked about not even wanting to be on the team, but you had highlighted him already saying that he has already surpassed his touchdown total so far from last year? Yes. Yes, he has. So I think, I mean, the biggest thing is, I think as long as he continues to uh, catch, and I think that, again, he was able to bounce back, made a really, really nice play for the touchdown. That's not an easy catch as well. Almost similar to the week before where it went right through his hands. So I'm glad that he could bounce back. But uh, we're we're firing on all cylinders. I felt like, uh, I had Rodgers, Amos, and MVS as my three game balls. Did a couple audibles, gave gave some shout-outs to J.K. Scott, and also, I think, deservedly so with uh, Jimmy Graham. But as as we wrap up Raiders beatdown on tap, how are you feeling? Packers are 6-1. and one. Is this something that you predicted going into the season? Definitely not. So for the uh, the final record for the season, I had the Packers sitting at 10-6, and six, and Obviously, for all we know, that could still be the case. They're six and one right now. They've got a really daunting stretch coming up. They were really front the schedule with home games. So now they're going to see their road stretch pick up, play in some really good teams. The Chiefs still look like the cream of the crop, even without Pat Mahomes. And it looks like Pat Mahomes will be back sooner than maybe what was originally anticipated. So if they can weather that storm, they should be okay. The Chargers are a toss-up game. The Panthers look really good. The 49ers look really good. No one's out of the NFC North yet. So, you know, the, but this Packers team has exceeded my expectations. And part of it is because I try to keep my expectations low and realistic because I don't want to get my hopes up for, you know, the playoffs or Super Bowl or bust. That's mm-hmm. I'm, I'd like to consider myself more level-headed and 
I guess even pessimistic to the point where I don't get disappointed if something goes wrong. But uh, this yeah. this has been a lot of fun, and it definitely has surpassed my expectations for a first year head coach, a brand new offense. I know you know there was a lot of talk about this wide receivers group. I was on Twitter talking about how I was glad that they added another vet outside of Ryan or right. outside of Devonte Adams, just given that you've got some unproven guys here, but being able to see this team take the leap that it's taken both with the defense, having new standouts with the offense, getting Aaron Jones rolling and MVS and Adams. And it, it just so far, yes, everything about this season has exceeded my expectations. And I think, you know, a big part of that is Matt LaFleur and what he's brought to green Bay. What do you think stands in the way of the Packers continuing the success? I don't want to say injuries because that feels like a cop out, but it's really interesting to be at the point we're at in the season with only a couple names on injured reserve. You know, the Packers mm-hmm. planned on bringing back Sternberger. He was the name that they designated. But when Lane Taylor went down, they had Elton Jenkins ready to step up and fill in for that spot. Savage is going to come back in a couple weeks. Adams should be back in a couple weeks. To me, one of the biggest losses of the season so far was Raven Green and the presence he had yeah. um, inside the box as like a hybrid linebacker. Um, so yeah. yeah, it seems like a cop out to say injuries, but we're finally getting to see what Kevin King looks like when he stays healthy. And it has been Absolutely. such a key piece for this defense. So you've got a healthy Jair, a healthy Kevin King, a healthy pass rush. You don't have Clay Matthews and Nick Perry trying to generate turnovers and pressures and sacks when they're mm-hmm. battling things. So <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it feels like cheating to say injuries, but I do think that this team deserves a healthy season and we can see now what what a healthy season does for the Packers. I love it. I don't I don't think that that's a cop out at all. I mean, that's the biggest thing that I think stands in the way, to be honest, is uh, I think we know what Coach LaFleur can bring to the table. I think he can make adjustments. I mean, uh, we're not we're about halfway into the, the season so far. But at our two year anniversary, which was back in March, I got a little crazy and I mean, that's pretty typical. I, I, I have high <laughs> hopes for the Green Bay Packers year in and year out. But I will say that when we brought in Brian Gutekunst last year in 2018, I just felt something different. And I know a lot of people were concerned about the power structure. I just, there was something about Brian Gutekunst, the way he addressed the media, what he did in the NFL draft. And then now you're slowly seeing him turn it into his roster and then bringing in Coach LaFleur, and I got the same vibe with LaFleur, even though I know a lot of people were concerned of his age. But the more you dug into it, I, I felt like he was the front runner. He was the guy that I wanted the Packers to take. I just felt like he was uh, on that cutting edge where I feel like he could relate to Aaron Rodgers, and that's what you needed. But for me, I think the most humbling thing, I guess, the thing that's grounded me the most is that that vibe, that gut instinct that I had, that intuition of Gutekunst is turning out to be true. And so we're just scratching the surface. I, tr- I, I truly believe, even though we're 6-1, and one, uh, it's exciting to see what Gutekunst has done so far. Matt LaFleur in his first season, you coming on the Unknown Packers podcast for not once, but <laughs> twice now. I can't wait to have you on again. Thank you so much for being part of our first untitled episode. Now, Raiders beat down on tap, but Maggie, tell tell all our fans, followers, and supporters where they can find you on Twitter and elsewhere. Last week when I was ending the Pack-A-Day podcast, I actually forgot my Twitter handle because being married is 
really daunting when you're someone that has to change your last name and then all of your social media. <laughs> um, so you can find me on Twitter at Maggie J. Loney, L-O-N-E-Y. Um, I podcast for the Pack-A-Day podcast, and I also write a couple articles a week for Cheesehead TV. Yeah, it's been great to follow you. Uh, we connected with Lombardi Lounge, which I'm extremely thankful for. I can't wait to uh, connect with you again moving forward. Thank you so much, Maggie, for being part of the Unknown Packers podcast. Go Pack Go. Packers are 6-1. and one. Go Pack Go. And once again, thank you so much for tuning in to Raiders Beatdown on Tap. Make sure you check out all of our content whether it's on Twitter, but most importantly at unknownpackersproductions.com. I am your host, Bryce Christensen, and this is the Unknown Packers Podcast. Thank you so much for following the Unknown Packers Podcast. Make sure that you're tuning in to TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Anchor, Google Play, Stitcher, and a variety of other podcast platforms. Don't forget to say, hey, Alexa, play the Unknown Packers Podcast. That's right. We're good friends with Alexa. Make sure you're checking out our website, theunknownpackers.com, as well as Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and Reddit, the Unknown Packers Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I'm Bryce Christensen, and this is the Unknown Packers Podcast. <laughs>